Now, there is some value, I think, in silliness. So Christmas isn't far away now and we're coming up to the time when there's, there's plenty of front yards around with Chrissy lights up and I always get, when I look in the back seat as we're driving past one of those, from my kids, a, a look of joy, of just awed joy. And the thing about Christmas light shows on suburban houses, and I don't know if you noticed this, is that they're masters of understatement. <laughs> you know, the, even, even, in, even in the competitive neighbourhoods, they don't try to do too much with the space that they've got. There's a lot of restraint. Uh, and you pretty much never get anything that's sort of cheesy or tacky. It tends to be classy stuff. If you can't see that, that's actually Darth Vader uh, driving a Santa sleigh pulled by an AT-AT, two tauntauns with a sign saying Merry Sithmas. Now, despite some of the obvious shortcomings of Christmas lights, the things that I might be cynical about as we drive around, uh, we, we go past the lights on Northmore Street and we see them, my two little boys are enchanted. They're transfixed. It's like a magical world has just been opened up to them and they're gone, just lost in this world where there's some silly bloke in a red suit with white trimming and for them he's this amazing figure of legend. Now kids are great at this, aren't they? Uh, Kids are great at getting into the spirit and so Christmas is magical for them, literally magical. Some of us, though, find it a little bit harder to get into the spirit of things. It takes more, perhaps, for me to suspend my disbelief and have faith in Christmas. Maybe because we're a bit cynical about the things like those light shows. Or maybe because, well, we're so lost in our worlds of serious things. You know, jobs and mortgages. Not so silly. But have you noticed that when you do manage to get into the Christmas spirit, uh, when I don't know if you're feeling that way this morning, if you're quite there yet or if you're still stressed from shopping for Christmas, but when you do, it can, even for the, the scroogey adults amongst us, the, the, the Grinches can be a bit magical. Now, they're silly things, men in red suits, but there's some value in silliness. Now, when we catch up with Jesus this morning, he's in some serious business. He is training his disciples and a crowd has gathered around to hear what Jesus is saying because he's talking about the important stuff. When completely off topic, like that weird cousin who just has no filter over Christmas lunch, just yells out from the crowd and he says, Jesus, tell my brother, tell him to divide the inheritance with me. Now, while that's awkward... <laughs> It's not actually that strange because that's exactly what um, the teachers of the Old Testament law did in those days. They made legal judgments and that's who this bloke seems to think Jesus is. And so he gets amongst it and thinks he's going to ask for some free financial legal advice. Which if you know a bit about Christmas, well you all know that's not exactly why Jesus came. That's not the business that he's in because he's not a Jewish lawyer. He claims to be something a bit more magical. He claims to be God. He claims that he's from God, come at Christmas time to save the world. Now that sounds a bit like a fairy tale. That's a bit grandiose, maybe even even silly, but this is who Jesus seriously says he is. So so Jesus, on this getting this request, doesn't go up to look up the law books in Leviticus and give this bloke what he wants. Instead, when this man wants to guard himself against financial ruin, and fair enough, if you want to do that, 
Jesus uses this opportunity to guard his followers' hearts who he's trying to train up against something else. And he says to his disciples, hey, you guys, watch out. There is something worth protecting yourself from, but it's not financial ruin. There's something even more dangerous than that that I care about for you guys. I want to save you from financial fascination. Financial fascination. So here Jesus delivers one of the most profound one-liners in history. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in literally the overflow of things. If you think about that for a second, roll the phrase over in your head. It's actually really deep. In fact, I think you should try it with your kids on Christmas morning or the grandkids on Christmas morning. Just hide the presents and tell them we're taking Jesus seriously this morning. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. But Jesus wants his followers to really understand this. And so he goes on to tell a story, a fairy tale, a parable, if you will. Now, forgive me, this might be slightly, what I'm about to say might be a slightly different translation to the one that you've got in your Bibles this morning, uh, but there's some research that's been done on the original Greek that's actually revealed the man's name. Uh, his name was Ed, uh, and, and, and uh, that might surprise you, but Ed actually lives in Mitchelton, uh, just down the road. He grew up in Everton Park, actually, uh, and Ed's a pretty normal guy. He likes the Broncos, the Roar and the Lions, or at least he liked the Lions in the early 2000s. Um, he he leaves, leaves school uh, goes to uni and he gets very serious about his engineering degree. And then he meets Sharon and they fall in love. They have two kids, uh, Anne-Marie and uh, Mary-Anne, not very imaginative, I guess. Uh, not the most creative guy, but, but he starts this little IT company with his brother Steve and they put a lot of energy into that company. And it goes okay. He starts out, he's working eight-hour days and then soon he's working nine-hour days and soon after that he's working ten-hour days and... So there's less time to watch footy these days, especially the Lions. Uh, and and that's, that's great, though. He's okay with that because he's managed to buy that beautifully renovated old Queenslander on Glenholm Street that Sharon has always commented on as they go past. Uh, and they've got the girls into Somerville House. Uh, and Anne-Marie's in the Advanced Chemistry and Physics Program and Mary Ann's the captain of tennis this year. Everything's not all as good. I mean, Sharon starts to make some comments about his working hours. You know the passive-aggressive kind? Well, hi, I'm Sharon. I'm your wife. <laughs> we, 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 can, I, can I get an appointment with you sometime? We should talk. Um, and it says, honey, this, is, this, is, it's, this isn't about me. Don't, don't think that this is about my success. It's for you and the girls uh, to, to secure your future. That's why I'm doing this. And he just keeps working harder until one day he feels a a twinge in his chest. His PA says to him, Ed, you need to go to get that checked out. I've booked in a doctor's appointment for you tomorrow. You're going to go. And it turns out he's had a mild heart attack. And so Ed changes. He quits KFC and the Coke, even even gets into a bit of Pilates. Uh, But when the symptoms die down his habits shift back to what they used to be. Then Ed and his brother hit the mother load. They're offered a big contract by the Chinese government. 
and the company hits the big time. They triple their staff, lease a floor of Riparian Plaza for their new offices and, and Ed is now working like a man possessed. And Sharon says to him, Ed, this is killing you. Two or three years max, two or three years max, honey. Uh, look, look, we'll take retirement. This, will be, this is our one big chance. We cannot blow this. You will have everything that you've ever wanted. Just, just two or three years max and we'll have it for the rest of our lives. It's 11 o'clock. Sharon walks past Ed at the desk. This time she decides it's not really worth asking if he's going to come to bed. Ed feels a presence of someone in the room with him. And he sighs as he waits for Sharon to start hassling him about coming to bed, but it's not Sharon. Ed says, who are you? And the presence says, I'm death. What do you want? I've come for you. <laughs> hold on, hold on. This isn't fair. You didn't, you didn't warn me about this. Oh, yes, I did. When you were at George's funeral last week, and he stakes, takes a step closer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, wait a second, says, I, I, can, I can do you a deal. I, I can make you a major stakeholder in the company. Uh, I'll give you half the company. And death takes one more step. Okay, 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 okay. Take the lot, the lot, the company, the, the house, everything. And death says, I will. Step. Step. Now, the day after next, uh, Ed's death makes the front page of Courier Mail. Graham Quirk and Anastasia Palaszczuk are both at the funeral. They say some beautiful things about Ed. On his tombstone is the kind of tribute to his business prowess that he'd actually, he'd actually kind of always dreamed of. Uh, words like entrepreneur were on there, maverick, success. But over the top of it, that night, an angel from God writes one word. Fool. Well, that's the parable that Jesus told as very loosely translated by a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine. You see, Ed was very lost in a world, in a world of possessions. And you can see that in the story that Jesus tells when the man comes to a bumper crop and he asks, what will I do? And the answer is, build my barns bigger. I'm not going to flood the market so that my share price sort of, of per kilo of produce gets lowered. I'm going to keep my barns so I can wring every little bit out of this for me. And it's worth asking yourself, who are you being rich toward? Are you being rich toward God or yourself? And it's worth, it's worth asking ourselves that because just because we live in the most affluent materialistic age in the history of humanity, as Gordon Gekko pronounced, greed is good in our world. And here are, here, there are lots of good things that money can actually give us. We can literally do magic. See, watch, I'll do it again. See, yeah? And I did it again. And I can even... The funny little green, funny little green dot. 
magic. And next year, they're actually going to bring one out that will do it just by me thinking. I can upgrade, it'll be fine. You see, we do, we do things at the swipe of a thumb that if you went back a couple of hundred years or any further, you would be charged with sorcery for doing these things. And we do it while we're sipping a latte. That's the kind of wealth that we're swimming in. But us Christians in Brisbane, we don't, well, at least I don't hear it talk about greed all that much for ourselves anyway. See, when was the last time you had a Christian friend tell you that they're working on their greed problem? I've, not, I've never confessed that to anyone. <laughs> but let me start now. I struggle with greed. And I suspect most of us do. Because Ed is just Brisbane's normal. In fact, if you take away the, 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 the heart, dodgy heart, Ed is Brisbane's definition of success. And we live in Brisbane. It's the air we breathe. It's the normal that we see when we see other human families that we think are good. That's the normal. And yet Jesus here tells his first century fishermen disciples, even for those guys whose ability to be upwardly mobile is perhaps a little more limited than for us, guard against greed, guys. Jesus says, for his followers, if you want to follow me, it's worth putting more energy into fighting against financial fascination than fighting against financial ruin. Because how it was with Ed will be how it is with anyone who stores up things for themselves but isn't rich towards God. Not in the sense of dying young, but in the sense of Hebrews 9.27, it says everyone dies and then after that comes judgment. Is there something more to life? You see, because what's the alternative to this? What's the alternative to living like the man who, with a bumper crop, built his own barns? Uh, what's the different way? Because, and we need, we need answers to that. Because we do live in Brisbane and it's normal to us to do that, to feather your own nest, to make sure you've got the nest egg, to be rich towards ourselves. It's a culture that we breathe. You see, Jesus, if you're saying there's something more than good things and good food, well, you'd better have a good, you'd better have a good alternative because that's what Brisbane lives for, good things and good food. What's our alternative? What's, if there is more to life than possessions, if there's more to life than working hard and stressing to have good things, then what is that thing? And Jesus' answer is this. He says, me. Me live for me and my kingdom. You see, in this whole conversation, Jesus has been trying to help his followers understand their problem is not whether they have an abundance of possessions because that's no guarantee of security. Their problem is not even whether they'll have enough food and clothing for tomorrow because if you live for Jesus, if you live for his kingdom, then God will provide your every need. God will do the rest. You see, our culture and its love of science has kind of, we've kind of de-enchanted the world. There's nothing magical about our world anymore. There's no greater sort of moral values to live for. And so because of that, there's only one person left to live for, me. You see, we've described how everything works with scientific equations. 
And so because of that we've concluded, well, there can be nothing else that exists, no God or no other things because we're so great we can describe everything with our science. So there's no spiritual forces at work, no fairies, of course, which we would agree with, but, but there's no good and evil, no angels or demons, none of that silliness, no God, so they say. And when you go there, it means that no one and no thing has to live for anyone else but itself. And so greed, when that's how you think about things, that makes sense. It's, it's really the only sensible option. Because if that's what you think, then life does consist only in your abundance of possessions. But the Christmas story is different. The invitation this Christmas is to get excited about a silly sounding story all over again, like you were a little kid, so that you will live for the king whose birth this Christmas story celebrates. It's an invitation to to go back to the nativity scene in your head and to be blown away by the fact that God the Son would become one of us, that not just one of us, but an unborn child in a young Mary's womb. To to laugh at the idea of God being God, the one who made all things, being tenderly wrapped in some rags and and, and placed in a food trough so he can have a little nap. To to be amazed at the idea of God giving the gift of himself at Christmas. To, To cry tears of sadness and yet tears of joy at the thought of the Jesus all grown up, God the Son dying on a cross to forgive your sins and to make you his own, beautiful son or daughter. And to feel the joy at the fact that this is not just a fairy tale, even though it's as fun as one, but it's the true story of the world from January to December. Now, for those amongst us who trust that this story is true, this is not a fable to remember in December. It's the story of our lives. And so we would be fools to live richly towards ourselves and not to God. We would be fools to live lives that make sense to everyone around us who doesn't believe God exists. The people who don't believe the Christmas story, well, our lives should actually look seriously silly to them. And that's okay. In fact, it's how it should be. And so when you do feel seriously silly for taking Christmas seriously, that's good. So it should be. For we trust God and we live for his kingdom instead. These little things that are so familiar, these little nativity scenes and seem like toys, are not. It's a serious story That's actually what the world's all about. Now, last thing. If you're here today and you don't really believe in a God, but maybe there's something, little tiny part of you that kind of likes what you're hearing, likes the idea of God coming to us and becoming one of us, Uh, something in your being aches for this to be true, would love for this to be true, can I suggest that that's maybe because it is? Maybe it's because even though it sounds silly, there there is more to this world than atoms and quarks. 
Maybe it's because there is someone greater to live for than yourself. Maybe it's because Jesus was right. And life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. 